0: Well, do me a favor and turn with me uh, to the book of James. And many people, as we start to open this up, are going to say, wow, how apropos that this is. Uh, We're going to begin by talking about trials and tribulations. And man, do we find ourselves in that currently, all of us. And yet, if I had to title this um, uh, message, I might call it Joy and Blessing. Joy and blessing. Where do I get that? Look at verse 2 before we start here. Count it all joy. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures. So joy and blessing in the middle of trials. Uh, Let's do this. Let's start by praying, and uh, then we're going to read through uh, chapter 1. Bow your heads with me, would you? Lord, thanks so much uh, for this morning and for your eternal word that... uh, uh, just never changes, as a double-edged sword, and Lord, uh, I have a feeling, it's done it for me, that this uh, word this morning is going to cut us uh, to the quick in a good way, by your Spirit. But Lord, help us not to just hear and consume Bible studies, but to be doers of what you ask us to do, by your grace, by your Spirit, and by your power. We need your help. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, follow along with me. We're just going to read uh, here the first chapter. It's kind of long. Uh, maybe we'll just go through uh, verse 18 and then uh, we'll go back but, uh, and, and then finish it out. But uh, follow along with me. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea Driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9 Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth it gives birth, excuse me, to sin, and sin when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Should be in a hymn, right? Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Oh well, I'm just going to read the rest. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was." But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world from the world excuse me thus saith the lord well here we find ourselves in a new book it's the book of james it's really a great compliment not only does it follow the book of hebrews but it addresses some of the same people or the same people that the author of hebrews was addressing here's what we got james a bondservant of god and of the lord jesus christ The first thing probably we should do is find out who this James is. Now, there's several possibilities in that there are several James in the New Testament. And I could go through all of those, but I'm going to ask you to be a Berean and look those up. So we have James, the son of Zebedee and brother of John. We have James, another disciple of Alphaeus, son of Alphaeus. We have James, in a quick mention, the father of Judas uh, the disciple, not Judas Iscariot. And we have this one, who I think it is. We have James, who's the brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, folks. Uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters. Matthew 13, and 56 tells us that he did and actually names this James. Uh, although uh, these uh, brothers and sisters... Uh, uh, were born to both Jesus' mother and father. Of course, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born to the virgin mom, Mary. So Jesus did have brothers and sisters. But this is an interesting uh, thing that you might not know or maybe you haven't caught while you've been reading the New Testament. His family in Mark 3, 31 through 35, and John 7 didn't believe in him as the Messiah while he was here on the earth. They thought he was rather strange and peculiar. And what an interesting thing that we're seeing this letter from James. James, who lived with Jesus all of his life. Can you imagine living with Jesus, never doing anything wrong, always doing the righteous thing? How that must have felt and what you must have seen and what you must have thought growing up. And here we see that uh, his brothers uh, didn't even believe in him as the Messiah as he walked the earth. But there's this really fascinating reference in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 7. Really fascinating reference. You see, Jesus, after he died and rose again, Jesus, after he died and rose again, made several post-resurrection appearances. And we go through those every resurrection day, and uh, we do the story. And it's fascinating to find out and to see who he appeared to. Well, one of the persons he appeared to, after he appeared to 500 people, uh, uh, is that he appeared to his brother, James. He, he saw him in his resurrected state, James, the brother. We know this that James became a leader in the early church. In fact, he was probably the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. Paul, in one of his letters, Galatians, calls him one of the stout, upstanding pillars of the early church. Uh, he, uh, James presided over this church conference in Acts 15. This James, the brother of Jesus... Uh, he, he presided over this uh, Acts 15 uh, uh, discussion among the early church that had to do with whether circumcision and following the law was essential in order to be a Christian. So here's the point. James must have been a deeply spiritual man who had the ability to solve and to handle lots of people, which takes a lot of growth and a lot of maturity. He was a, a great leader, and he solved that problem And uh, uh, there in Acts 15. He also, uh, in Acts 12, when Peter got out of prison, there's a note in the Scripture, verse 17, that he sent a message to James. Why? Because he was the leader of the early church, most likely. And Paul, when he was bringing financial aid from the Gentile church to the church in Jerusalem, delivered it there unto Uh, unto James in Acts 21, 18 and 19. Now, this is fascinating. Extra-biblical sources tell us this, Eusebius and others, that this James... uh, uh, leader of the church, uh, a very tender warrior here, uh, had to solve very difficult problems, started out living and growing up with his brother, but uh, of course, um, uh, didn't, as we've seen in in the scriptures, didn't uh, believe in him as the Messiah until the resurrection, and he appeared to him. This one uh, uh, went from one who didn't believe to one who was martyred for his death, and Eusebius and the others tell us that in sometime either 62 A.D. or 66 A.D., and that's a whole nother story we won't get into. But anyway, the 60s A.D., we're told that he irritated the Jewish leaders and he was marched up to the pinnacle of the temple and thrown off the temple. And James didn't die from that fall. And so, uh, when he uh, collected himself and uh, got himself all together, he prayed like his Lord prayed that the, uh, that the Father would forgive those who have done this, and to put him out of his misery, he was hit over the head with a club and died. You see, we can learn a great lesson simply from the life of this one, James, and that's this is that we're to live, Romans 8, 1 through 4, in the power of the resurrection and the spirit of our Lord and Savior, by the power of the spirit of our Lord and Savior, and that without the resurrection, we don't have this new life. How could somebody go from one who denied the Lord to one who was martyred for the Lord, and all he had to do, apparently, up there on that temple corner, is just renounce his brother as Messiah. Just renounce him, and he didn't. He jumped off or was pushed off and then killed on the ground. People often ask, you know, I've got somebody coming to me and asking about the claims of Christ, and what should I say to them, and how should I say it? And the real uh, plain truth of, of James' life is just keep pointing people to the resurrection, of course, there's wonderful questions that people have, and they, they, uh, the Lord says, come reason with me. He, he is a person of reason, and those questions are valid and good, and we should be ready to give an answer in all those areas. But never forget to keep uh, uh, bringing people back to the fact, the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means he defeated death. And that same power that uh, raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And so we have power for today. James, his whole life tells a sermon. And here he calls himself not the brother of Jesus Christ. I would have. Wouldn't you have? If you were the brother of Jesus Christ, wouldn't you have said? Here he says, Listen, here's who I want to be known as. This is what I want to be known as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how hard it is to tell your brothers and sisters they're right or they're good or whatever? Here, James, because of the resurrection. The death and resurrection of the Messiah, his brother, he identified with his brother as a bondservant of God and of him. He willingly, this word says, willingly, bondservant, doulos, he willingly attached himself to God through the Son, Jesus Christ, his brother. Isn't that a beautiful sermon in and of itself? And here, James, this bondservant, he's uh, uh, writing to who? Uh, uh Who's he writing to? Well, he tells us here in verse 1, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And then he goes, look down in verse 2, my brethren. So in verse 1, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, and then verse 2, my brethren. Who's he writing this letter to? Well, the 12 tribes of Israel are clearly the people of Israel, the Jewish nation. You see, the Jewish nation had been scattered for Hundreds and hundreds of years. We're going to see that word here in a minute. They'd been scattered for hundreds and hundreds of years. In the 700 B.C., the ten northern tribes were taken up to Assyria. In 586 B.C., the two southern tribes of Israel, there's 12 total, were taken up to Babylon. They were allowed to come back later on, of course. Uh, The Bible tells us in Acts 8... There was this great persecution by, guess who? Saul, how wonderfully the Lord works, who later became Paul. He actually persecuted the church, and they spread. They scattered. You can go read it. They went to places like Phoenicia, which is basically the coast of Israel, and the Phoenicians were touched. They went to places like Cyprus, an island out, of, out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. They went to places like Antioch, up in Turkey area. And you can see in Acts 11, verse 19, that although they were scattered, the Lord used this. The Lord used this to um, uh, bring up a church, to save people, to have, bring them to eternal life. Because this is a fascinating word here. Uh, The 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, it has that word scattered there, it has a meaning of sowing. We think of scattered like, oh, the lights came on, the cockroaches scattered, like they were afraid. And yes, there was persecution and they did uh, move out. But the Greek word that they're using here is scattered like sowing, which is a fascinating thing in itself. God turned around what we would all think was a terrible thing and he used it for his good and glory by scattering through the ancient world where they would be used to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others so who's he talking to here well he's talking probably to 12 tribes of Israel or to Israel or Jewish people who have been saved so Jewish Christians why he says my brethren catch that? So he says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad and he greets them, but then he calls them brothers in the sense that they are brothers because they're Jewish, but they're also brothers by this common faith. And what would these Jewish Christians be facing? Well, we went through it all throughout the book of Hebrews. They would be facing a really tough and difficult time. Why? Well, think about it. The modern world was dominated at this time by whom? the Romans. And so they weren't Romans. They were Jewish. They would have been rejected by most Gentiles. And so what would they have to fall back on? They'd have to fall back on their country people, their countrymen, the Jews. And yet now these Christian Jews have left the Jewish faith and so they would might be, or they could be, have even been rejected by their own countrymen. And so we see within the letter why it was written. You just keep going down the list. Well, there was tribulations. Of course there was tribulations. How would you like to not be accepted anywhere by anybody? That's what they were going through. Wherever they'd been scattered to. They'd ob- obviously, there's another one. They'd been scattered They'd been persecuted and they had been scattered. And so there would be this temptation, wouldn't there? There would be this temptation. There would be a temptation to question God. Here's here's would be some of the temptations. God, what are you doing? I'm a Jewish person. My homeland is Israel. Why in the world would you spread me around the places like Crete or... Turkey or or wherever or down in northern Africa or wherever you sent me, Lord. Why why would you send me there? And Lord, why do I have to deal with uh, uh, when I'm uh, not so well off myself, why do I have to deal with people who are coming into the faith who are wealthy? That's very difficult. And oh Lord, now that I'm been persecuted and I've been spread around the world, oh Lord, I'm tempted, verse 12. I'm tempted to now walk away from you and sin, because I don't even know if you even care or not. You could go on and on. There's many other things, uh, reasons I think, why this book was written. One of the biggest one is... That these Jewish Christians proclaimed followers of Jesus Christ, but really didn't believe what they, or excuse me, live what they believed. And they were tempted oftentimes then to go back into the religious old covenant system and just give up and conform despite the fact that they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Comfortable Christianity, or comfortable, I guess I should say, religion. And we can go on and on. There's even themes of immaturity in here in this letter. And so uh, James seems to be writing, a very kind of tough, tender man, it appears. He seems to be writing to give them a very practical letter about what their life should look like, given the fact that Jesus is supreme. That's the message of Hebrews. The message of James is... Now that you know that Jesus is supreme and he's your great high priest and he's the perfect sacrifice and you know these things and you're tempted to fall back, don't. And not only don't, here's what your life should look like. He writes to the 12 tribes, verse 1, which are scattered or sown abroad and he gives greetings. And then he says this, my brethren counted all joy when you fall into various trials now let me just talk about trials trials troubles difficulties why do trials come Well, we talk about this all the time. Sometimes trials come just because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Therefore, sometimes there's accidents. Things fall off scaffoldings and hit us on the head. We trip over the curb and break our leg. And sometimes uh, these things just happen. We live in a fallen world. Well, sometimes, though, the Bible tells us we reap what we sow, right? We reap what we sow. If I will go out and go down to the local bar and I drink 10 or 15 beers and then get in the car and say, Lord, help protect me and other people. Well, I'm going to reap what I've sown. That would be a ridiculous prayer. I'm the one responsible for what I'm doing here. And yet, we also see that it is apparent that the Lord sends trials. I'm making that uh, uh, distinction between trials and temptations. The Lord, the Lord uh, sends trials into our life. Listen to this. Jesus said in John 6, 33, Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. Paul said, Paul knew it. Paul, Paul, Paul understood it in Acts 14, 22. He said, we must, through much tribulation. Enter into the kingdom of God. Tribulations. Peter knew all about it. In 1 Peter 4, he said, Beloved, don't think it's strange. Don't don't think it's strange concerning fiery trials, which is to say as though you uh, encountered some strange thing or some strange thing happened to you. In other words, trials, tribulations, difficult times, difficult circumstances are going to happen. My brethren, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, let me, let me break this down a little bit. I want you to circle or note the word count here. Circle or note the word count. Count it all joy. It's happened to you. You're not happy about the bad thing that happened or the difficult thing that happened. If somebody you love dies in your life, you're not happy that they died. And yet, you have a perspective of counting things joyful. Oh, we're not jumping up and down saying, oh, thank the Lord. Uh, For instance, my dad passed away in 2002. I wasn't happy that my dad died. And yet, uh, I was called to count it all joy because I was in a various trial. What does that entail? Uh, let, let me give you another uh, circumstance. Uh, uh, COVID virus. This is a trial. This is a tough thing. People aren't used to being in their houses all this time. Uh, we hear the, uh, th- the phrase stir crazy. We hear that, that people are just wanting to get out and do things. So this is a very difficult thing, especially for Americans. Americans. Well, here the Bible tells us, in this instance, it's a difficult thing. It's a trial. It's a tribulation. We are, as the people of God, to count it all joy. Let me me just give you, thinking back to the Hebrew Christians here, thinking back to the Hebrew Christians. The Hebrew Christians were on that edge of teetering. Should I go back into what's comfortable or should I endure with Christ? You, You got it? And so... Here, the writer is telling you, hold on here. If you'll start to count it joy, in other words, if you'll understand that this trial has either been sent to you or come to you, or uh, it's just something that just happened, if you'll understand that this trial has come to you and you have a perspective in it that you don't want to miss. What God is showing you and doing you in the trial, because we know that God only works for our good, so in the trial, even though it hurts, even though we could be sorrowful about the thing that happened, we are nevertheless to count it a joyful thing. We're expecting, Peter told us, that it will happen to us. Don't count it as strange. Be forewarned that things are going to happen that are difficult and you'll go through seasons of tribulation and when you do listen to this you know it's for a greater and higher purpose and here's the greater and higher purpose the greater and higher purpose is that god is working something in you romans 8:28 so that you'll be conformed to his image 29 knowing verse 2 of james chapter 1 you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. For some reason, (laughs) the Lord wants us to have patience. I wouldn't have written patience right there. If I was writing the Bible, I would have said, oh, that the testing of your faith produces holiness, or the testing of your faith produces something, you know, great in my life, but he said, and patience is great, but he says, patience. God in a trial and tribulation, listen to me, even if you are sorrowful, Jesus was sorrowful when things happened to his friends. He was sad when Lazarus died, really sad, like we're sad when people die. But he knew that there was something higher and greater at stake, didn't he? And so he showed us that we could produce patience. In fact, even in that story, remember, he asked them to wait a few days until he came. Remember it? What was he after? Patience, trust, trust. Faith, here, listen, as we sit here today and we're wondering what's going on, how are we doing, know this, the Bible tells us, the testing of your faith produces patience. God wants you to have patience. Now, here's the words I circled, count it. It's an accounting word. It's like you're saying, I am, no matter what, going to count it as a good thing. Even though the thing that's happened is a hurtful thing, nothing wrong with feeling sorrow, Jesus did, I know that there's a greater and higher purpose. And when I know that there's a greater and higher purpose, I can feel that bedrock, rock-solid joy because I know my Father is working with me. Get it? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Are we saying jump up and down and click our heels and you know be fake about stuff? No, that's not what the Bible's saying at all. What he's saying is count it and know it. In your mind and in your heart, know that your God is good. And even though there is a tough time coming, you're going to stay under him and abide in him. Listen to this. But, but then let. Oh, man. If I wasn't confined to this camera, I'd be walking back and forth right now. Here's why. I bet we've always escaped and not recognized the word let. Look how many times it happens right here in this first part. Look at this. But let, verse 4, patience have its perfect work. How about this in verse 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him Verse 6, but let him ask in faith. Verse 7, for let not that man suppose. He's double-minded, etc. Look at verse 9. Let not, or let the, excuse me, let the lowly brother. In other words, listen, there's something else that you need to give over to the Lord. You know what it is? Not just your heart and your mind. Your will. Let him. Let him have even your will. Let him. You get it? And here he says this. You might even intellectually agree that it's right to count it all joy. You might even intellectually agree that there's a trial here and that you know that this testing of your faith produces patience. Now, give him over that part of you that's your will. You know what the will is? The will is is like, uh, you know, I want to walk back to the back of the room but something in me tells me to actually get my feet moving. Um, Something tells me that the Lord is good, but I can know it intellectually and still not submit and give my will over to it. Do you get it? And the Lord's after all, mind, heart, our will. He's saying here, let, let, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce this patience, this ability. by, By the way, by the way, this patience here is not a patience of passivity passiveness i made up a new word passiveness it's not just a word of passiveness it's a word that you'll love and you want to study look it up in your blue letter bible or whatever you use hoop amone it's to stay other or excuse me stay under that's the passive passive part and to do endure but also it, it's allowing God to turn you into something greatest for His glory. Are you getting it? You're being patient with the Lord, or you're being patient in the trial because you know you're going to uh, God's going to turn it around in your life and use it for a major glorious blessing. That's hoopamone. That's patience. And here, the testing of your faith produces this in the believer's life. But, verse 4, you must, I put that in, let patience have its perfect work. Remember, when you get to perfect work here in Hebrews and other places in the New Testament, it's talking about growth, maturity, Christ-likeness, sanctification. If you're a patient person in the Lord, the Lord is working in you, and you May be perfect. By the way, isn't that interesting? Matthew five forty eight tells us, "Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect." Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, here's an, uh, uh, whoever wrote this letter, and it was James, the brother <laughs> of Christ. I believe he knew the Sermon on the Mount in an incredible way, because this first uh, several uh, verses line up with several of the blessings and the. Uh, things that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the and Here's one of them. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do you understand that the Lord's after your growth? Growth in his Son. Growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's asking that you be made mature, lacking nothing. And if any of you... Oh, here it comes. Look at this. We often spout this off, verse 5, independent of this whole chapter. But here, the writer, James, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, what's wisdom, not knowledge? What's, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Well, knowledge is a set of facts. Wisdom is how to apply the facts to a situation. By the way, that's what they teach lawyers, which I'm sorry, I'm one of them. No, not really, not sorry. But that's what they teach lawyers in law school, to take a set of facts and to use them. And here, what he's saying is, if any of you lacks wisdom, not just facts, time out here. The American church is great at knowing the facts. We know the Bible inside out. We know the Bible. We can spout off, you know, all the Beatitudes, uh, every, everything that's, uh, you know, we we memorize Romans and we do our little prayer cards. And am I against memorizing? No, you should memorize. But here's the point. If you're not using what you know, James is saying, what good is this? In other words, you need wisdom. You need to know how to live out the Christian life on Monday mornings when you go to work. Or the Christian life, when you're out with friends and they start bringing up issues that are uh, controversial for the day, and yet you're the light there. How do I live like this? Lord, I need wisdom. And here he's asking uh, uh, the, the readers, these people who are teetering on the edge between going back into what they're comfortable and know or staying and enduring with patience under and abiding with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, he says, you need wisdom. You need wisdom, especially in a trial. You ever been? Uh, you ever felt like you were in a dryer, like a clothes dryer when you were in a trial or you were uh, at the ocean and somehow, you know, uh, you couldn't get up over the wave and the waves just kept hitting you, and you couldn't get a breath and you couldn't get a breath and you just feel like life is just uh, dumping on you, right? And you have tough times coming. You have tough times coming. Here, what he's saying is, Yes, I know it, James says. You need patience. You need to count it. You need to know. And you need especially wisdom. For people who are going through tough times, wisdom on why God is doing what he's doing in your life through these trials. Did you catch what I just said? I'm not sure Right, We talked about it at the beginning that every time a trial comes, it's always God's fault. Sometimes God does bring trials. Sometimes you bring trials on yourself, and I bring trials on myself. And sometimes bad things just happen. And you need to know that the Lord is in it with you no matter what. Any of those three, he's there, and he wants you to gain wisdom. How to live joyfully and victoriously in the middle of circumstances that are either in the toilet or on the pinnacle of a high mountain. He's saying, get wisdom so that you can understand and grow and move through the trial. You get it? Well, he says this, ask of God in the trial, ask him. And he gives to you all, he gives to all liberally. What does that mean? He gives a lot. He just gives it out. He, just, he, does it. he wants to give you wisdom, so ask. And he does it without reproach. That place where I've had several people come to me several times and say, you know what, I, I, or, or I'll maybe say, uh, can I pray for you? And they're like, well, you know, i got a couple things, but, you know, I'm not sure God's so concerned about that. Well, here he says God's wanting to give, and as many times as you come back, he's never going to say, Oh, Tim, why are you back here? He's going to say, great, you're coming to the right source, your dad. He says, I'll give you wisdom, the ability not just to have facts, but to live life based on the facts, based on reality. I'll give you this wisdom on how to live out your life in a dark and devious world. But you got to do it, you got to do it in faith with no doubting, Oh, no. Does that mean anything I ask? Well, let's think about this. The the phrase there, no doubting, is a word that means don't be double-minded. If you were with us last week on Sunday, we talked uh, uh, at length about being single-minded, having one thing in our lives. And we went through the one thing passages of the New Testament. And Paul summed it up with this one in Philippians He says, one thing I do, the stuff that's behind me, I'm just letting it go behind me. Paul would have a really tough, um, guilty conscience. I mean, he was the one who persecuted the church. He uh, called out murders on people. He uh, was a high and pompous and uh, uh, very self-righteous person. And so the Lord had taught him, though, that once we come into the family of God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in our lives, there's one thing we do. We forget those things that are behind. We we uh, uh, put off anything that's a hindrance in our life and we run to the upward call, this prize of God through his son, Jesus Christ. He told us this in Philippians. And here, what I think this is saying, let him or her ask in faith. Guess what, folks? Sometimes my faith ain't that great. The Bible says that when we're faithless, he remains faithful. What he's calling us to, I'm convinced in the middle of trials, is to not be double-minded, to be single-minded. What was Jesus like? Listen, Remember when Jesus would do a whole day of ministry, whole day of ministry, just pouring out, loving, healing, uh, sharing the gospel? You know, that would be the time where I would say, oh, wow, let's go to Pramani Brothers and watch the Steelers. Let's just chill for a while and take it easy. Jesus now knew what the source of his um, uh, strength and love is. Guess what Jesus did after ministry long day? He went out and prayed and refueled and recharged with his father. In other words, Jesus was single-minded. And here, when you ask in faith, sometimes your faith is good. Sometimes it's not so good. Listen, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a way of the sea. I think what this passage is calling us to is no double-mindedness. Even when I know I'm a little bit faithless or faithless, I know the one whom I trust, and that's God through Jesus Christ. I'm single minded about it. I know that sometimes my faith waxes and wanes, and yet His never does. And He's the object of my faith. So keep going to Him. And the beautiful part about this is as you keep going to Him and hanging out with Him and communing with Him, listen to this, He makes you more like His Son, Jesus, doesn't He? And when he makes you more like his son, Jesus, we're more apt to pray the prayers that God always answers. you you catching what this is saying? Don't be double-minded. In the middle of trials, he's going to take you from double-mindedness to single-mindedness. Where your heart aligns with his heart. That's what prayer really is. I'm gonna mess this up, but it's not, prayer's not us getting our way in heaven, it's God getting his way here on earth. He aligns us with his heart, and here he brings us to the place where we aren't doubting, we're not double minded people, and so we're not sea driven and tossed by the wind. We are, even when we're faithless, even when our faith is shaken, even when we only have mustard seed faith, we still, look at this, we're single-minded. We run to the one who we know can do it. For let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. For he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Oh, that we would be single-minded Well, how about this, let the lowly brother, verse 9, glory in his exaltation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. And I think what's happening here, because he talks all throughout the letter about differences in economics between people. I think what he's saying here is, now that you've been spread out around the world, you've been dispersed, you've been scattered like sowing seed. Uh, Now that you're doing that, isn't it interesting, some of you have nowhere to lay your head. You have nothing, and you're out there, and you're sharing the gospel, and rich people are coming in. And back then, you know, uh, they would meet in homes. Think about it. And here you have, you know, uh, some wealthy dude coming into this uh, Spartan-like house, and you'd have this mix of people. And here, what I think he's saying is, what the rest of the New Testament says. Whether you have a lot or whether you don't have a lot, be content. Don't be clickish. Be simple in your life. And whether you're poor or rich, listen to this. Know this, if you're poor now, you have all the riches and grace in Jesus Christ. But know this, rich people, if you're rich It's because God's blessed you, and those riches are going to fade away. All of that's going to pass away. And so now we're on even playing ground. You know, there's no place for any of that in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor or black or brown or red or white or anything else. We're this or that or we live on that side of the tracks or this side of the tracks. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ and that must have been a problem in the places that he, uh, he was going. Oh, by the way, it's a problem in American church. How about this? On to verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, in other translations, that's tried. This is speaking in language of the melting of ore, <laughs> so that they can make precious metals. That's what this is speaking of. Blessed is the man who endures temptations. For when he has been tried, what do they do with metals that they want to purify? They heat it up. Guess what happens to the top? Well, guess what comes to the top? All the impurities. They clean it off. They let it cool down. They heat it up again. The impurities come to the top and they just keep doing it. Some would say until they can see their face in the liquid. Interesting. But whatever. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Look at that. Happy. That word. It's like, a, it's like another Sermon on the Mount, Beatitude. This is what a person's like. A man who endures temptation is blessed for when he has been tried, he and he will be tried, He will receive the crown of life. You are going to receive crowns in heaven. You're going to receive rewards. You're rewarded if you endure temptation. You're going to receive the crown of life. By the way, there's several crowns in the New Testament. What do we do with the crowns that we're going to receive in heaven? Well, you're not going to hoard them. You're not going to keep them for yourself. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation. We're going to uh, lay them or cast them back at the feet of Jesus in worship. How beautiful is that? Even the things that you receive, how could we ever even brag about that? And here, listen to this. He says, those who endure will give a crown of life, but don't miss the rest of it, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so the question becomes, do you love Jesus? Or are you using Jesus as a lucky rabbit's foot? Do you just call on him when you're in a problem area or you need something? Here, the Bible tells us that we are blessed and will receive a crown through temptation or as we resist temptation because we're resisting temptation because we love him. We, we love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desires has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Well, let's break this down just a little bit. Here's what I want you to see. Is that there's something different about temptations than there are trials. Trials seem to be outward circumstances that come to you that are difficult or hard, something that's not under your control. And the Lord uh, is in it sometimes, but sometimes you do it to yourself, and sometimes they just happen. We talked about that. But then comes temptations, and temptations start out when he, he or she has a desire and then is tricked. You get it? Let's take some desires in our lives. Sex. There's nothing wrong with a desire for sex. God gave it. But the Bible says do it within the confines of marriage. How about eating? Nothing wrong with eating. We need it to live. And yet some of us, including me, over the last two weeks have been somewhat gluttonous about it. Sleep. Nothing wrong with sleep. God's given us the desire to sleep. We need to sleep. It's healthy for us. Yet some of us can sleep all day long and be lazy and not get up and work. And we just can go on and on and on with desires. Here's the thing. Do you understand this? That the temptation doesn't come from God. It says it here. There's no temptation There's no temptation from God. Don't say I'm tempted for God, for God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. What happens? Just like in the Garden of Eden. All you have to do is go back to the Garden of Eden. Oh, wait a minute. Did God? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The enemy says to Eve, did God really say that? Remember, Eve looked at the fruit and it looked beautiful. She had a desire to eat it. And then the enemy came in and deceived her or enticed her. Did God really say that you would be, uh, you know, you'd know the knowledge of good and evil and that wouldn't be good for you and you'd be rebelling? Did God really say that? Come on. he, He can't be that bad. You see it? See, what happens to us is our desires become more important than loving God. In obedience. We get to that place where, you know, uh, the IRS comes and they're not looking this year. And so I can cheat on my taxes. And we get to that place where we love money and we cheat more than we do than honoring God. You catch it? But you're tempted and you're enticed by the one who wants to squelch your ministry or squelch your testimony. Then when desire has conceived, what happens? It gives birth to full-blown sin. And then sin, when it's full-grown, brings forth death. All these sinful things bring forth death. Of course, we're sinners and we... Um, will die physically, but, even he, but the good news is we'll live forever with him. But here's the point. All of these things lead to death. Oh my goodness. You have sex outside of marriage when you're married. You commit adultery. Guess what you've just done? You've killed a marriage and you've wrecked some children maybe if you have them. Or uh, again, If you cheat on your taxes and you go to jail, I mean, you've wrecked your testimony and it leads to death and death. And we here in the American church don't see sin as this. And so look, here's what I want you to see on the flip side of this. How then, if there's this temptation of normal desires, how then Do we combat it? What do we do? Well, we understand that we're in love with a person. God himself, through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, lives in your life. And we love him because he first loved us. The reason that we stop doing anything, listen to what I'm saying, abstinence world... The reason that we stop doing anything is not because somebody's telling you to quit, although we should quit. The reason that we want to stop is because we love our Father and want to glorify Him. That's one thing. But the other thing is, there's judgment at the end of it. There's death, spiritual death. And that's why we needed a Savior, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus came to took the wrath and the justice that was, should have been poured out on us, There's death. So we think of that as we battle temptation. Because there is the temptation. Guess what there's a temptation to do right now this week? Lord, I'm in a trial. I can't go out of my house. I can't work. And these are real trials, by the way. I'm uh, I'm making light of them. I can't do any of these things, Lord. Uh, Okay. We could either go down this path or down that path. And this path, the good path is, count it all joy. Know that it's a testing for your benefit. Give up your will and uh, learn patience and pray for wisdom about what to do. Get it? The other path is this. You'll start listening to the enemy who says, God doesn't care about you. You're all alone and you're a loser here in your house. You have nobody to talk to. And when you give in to that, see, that's temptation trying to get you off of what God has for you, move you off of it. Here, in temptation times, we're to focus on the love of God for us, and the fact that there's death at the end of giving in to the sin. And then there's another thing that we need to remember. He's good. God is good. It's so elementary, but listen to this. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Listen, he gives good gifts. If he's only given this one, his son Jesus Christ. It was enough, and yet he gives more, and he's going to see us through this time where we're quarantined or isolated or whatever you want to call it, and in the middle of it, he's asking you to know why this is happening. Or, excuse me, he's asking you to know why and what he's doing in the middle of it. And in the middle of it, he wants to produce godly patience. He wants to produce a faith that's more precious than gold. He wants to take you from dross to gold. <laughs> from, Christ, uh, from, from entering into the family of God to Christ-likeness. Do you see it? And he's good and he's wonderful and he has your best at heart. Well, keep going. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That he or we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Well, 1 Peter 1 tells us that salvation comes through God's word God's words involved but how about this we are a first fruit of his creatures you catching what he means here He's mean he means you're you're beautiful you're the, the first of the harvest he went first he's the first fruit of all first fruits but now we follow and we do it through a spiritual Um, uh, uh, transaction or regeneration of his own will. Do you catch it? He wanted us to be back with him, the Father in heaven. And so out of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He made us alive that we could be a first fruit of his creatures. So then, verse 19, chapter 1, my beloved brethren, do this. If the word is so important, if the word is so important, be this, do this. Let every man be swift to hear. Shut up for a while. Listen. You don't always have to talk and give answers for everything of why everything's going on. No, listen. Just slow down and hear. Be slow to speak. Swift to hear. I mean, pay attention. Don't, don't, don't just always be blabbing. Just pay attention and then slow to wrath here. For the wrath of God or of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Listen, do you know what happens to people oftentimes with when they're presented with the truth of the gospel? They get angry. They get angry. I get angry. I didn't like being told a sinner, and yet, or I was a sinner, and yet I am a sinner. The Bible's clear. We've missed the mark. I've failed. I've not uh, uh, measured up to God's holy standard. That hurts. And people can get angry about it. And the Bible says here, hold on here. If the word is so important for you to become a first fruit, just quiet yourself. Please, do this. You're, You're cultivating. What are you cultivating? The implanted word. Look at verse 21. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive the word, repent, be humble, be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Just quiet down for a little bit and let me speak to you, the Lord says. In a trial, in a temptation, what is our natural thing to do? To get anxious, to get upset, to get bitter. What the Lord is pointing out to you in lots of this is the dross. But the master is going to wipe away that dross and bring the precious metal to the forefront. And he says here, get get rid of all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, receive with weakness. Uh, uh, Throw your pornography in the trash. Throw your dirty movies in the trash or your uh, 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 salacious novels in the trash. Overflow of wickedness, whatever that may be in your, your heart or your life, get rid of it, but then start just receiving real meekly, meekly, not weakly, meekly, Power under control, the implanted word, which is, look at this, the word of God, which is able to save your souls, the most important issue we'll ever face. Last thing, last part. How about the person who is a Christian and they're tempted to just fall back? Here's what he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see how practical this is? Do you see how practical? You're deceiving yourselves. In other words, don't be deceived. Christians, I implore you, I beg you, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Jesus himself in Matthew 7 said, Many will say, Lord, Lord, to me. And I'll say, I never even knew you. One of the hardest, toughest, most difficult pieces of Scripture. It hurts our hearts, doesn't it? Well, Christians in the Christian world, many are running around deceiving ourselves. Why? Because if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. In other words, he says that the word of God is a mirror. It shows you who you are. But if you, just like when we look at pictures and we don't like what we see about the pictures, we tend to not focus on the pictures But when you get in the mirror of the word, and the word is pointing things out to you, don't do what many people do. He observes his natural face in a mirror. Then verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and forgets immediately what kind of man he was. You see, people don't like to look in the mirror. It hurts sometimes. And here he's saying, if you want to receive the word and have life When you look into the Word, great, doing your two-year Bible plan, fantastic. But if you do your two-year Bible plan every day, every morning at 4.30 in the morning, and you're not a doer of the Word, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. He says, when you read it, oh, by the way, just as a timeout, I read that two-year Bible plan. I read it from a high-level view. Do that. You don't have to drill down there, but go back and drill down on the points you want to know. And then ask the Lord to show you what it is in your life he wants to either add or subtract and ask him for the ability to do it. That's what we should be doing. Here, this one forgets what kind of man he was. He just like, ah, he walks out from his, his daily reading. The Lord has convicted him, but he says, who cares? I'm forgetting about it. But look at this, verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and I believe that's the new covenant, the law of liberty, the law Jesus came to set us free, and we are free indeed as we live by grace through faith. It's not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. In other words, the Bible says you're to lose your life to gain it. The greatest uh, place that you can be, the greatest position you can have in the uh, Bible, or according to God, is to be a slave, to be a servant. Okay, well, what if somebody treats you as a slave or a servant? Are you now upset and mad? We're not doing the word. Get it? Here he says, be a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. Verse 26, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, does not Bridle his tongue, because uh, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that the tongue, Matthew twelve, reveals what's in the heart. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religious religion is useless. Useless. It's useless. You're deceiving yourselves. You, 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 you're not living according to the word. You're not blessed. Here, he says, one of the things that people do is that they don't bridle their tongue. Now, that's, again, amazing in the Jewish Christian world. Remember, they would meet in homes. It was easy to shout across the the living room and talk to them about different ideas. And some people would get out of control. And here, the writer of uh, uh, James, James himself, says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this new birth that we have in Jesus Christ is going to impact your speech. Well, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, verse 27, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We are people who are to serve the oppressed, to serve those who. Uh, uh, have uh, less than we do, or who have had hurts and struggles, go to them, be with them, cry with them, hug them, love them, uh, feed them, clothe them, do all things, and speak to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where God's sweet spot is in service. And the final thing is to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Uh, We're to be in the world, but not of the world, John 17 tells us, 11, uh, and then throughout. Uh, we're to be uh, in the world, but not of the world. So let's think about this for a minute as we close, James chapter 1. What are we talking about here? Tough times come to Christians. For those who in the Christian world say that tough times don't come to Christians, they're not telling the truth. The Bible says that it's, we're, we're going to fall into various different kinds of trials. And we have to watch. Those come from outside. But then the enemy uh, can tempt you into taking that uh, uh, outward trial and sinning. And that will lead to death. And there's other things that we must do in the trial, uh, trials. Receive the word. Keep receiving the word. Keep understanding what the Lord wants in your life so that um, uh, you will be blessed as you move out in the world and do it. God, by the Holy Spirit, takes the child of God through the word of God who does uh, what he asks and blesses them. And this will take place in a, a mouth that is able to control itself, and in serving those who are less fortunate, keeping oneself unspotted from the world, just having a witness out in the world that still speaks and yells, I'm a follower of Christ. So let's do this. Let's pray as we close on James 1. Let's ask the Lord to bless us. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, and that's something that you would like to do, um, I'm going to pray for you now. If you are in a place where you've just not, you you've maybe have uh, come to the Lord, but you're just not living in victory or you've slidden back in any way and you just feel like you're deceiving yourself or uh, something of that nature, I'll, I'll pray for you too. And remember now go throughout the week and connect with people in our fellowship. And if you're uh, watching or listening and you'd like to, uh, 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 connect with us. We're going to have the information up at the end of this video, and you can connect with us, and we'll get back to you. So uh, do this with me. Bow your heads, please. Lord, we come here, and we thank you for this wonderfully practical letter uh, from James, the brother of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are doing uh, a mighty work in our hearts, that you are making us people that do the word and not deceive ourselves. Lord, if there's anyone out there, I'm praying that you would pierce their hearts and that they would come to know you in a real and saving way. They'd confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that you, Lord, are the Savior of the world, that you died and rose again according to the scriptures, and you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and they would give their life over to that. And for others who've slipped back, I'm praying, uh, Lord, that we would all come to Remember how much you love us, and that there are things that we give into, Lord, that lead to death, and that we need, in order to be healthy in trials, the implanted word. Help us in that area, too, Lord. We love you because you first loved us, and we thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.